Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Paul, it's great to see you, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast here in Season 3, where we're talking about uh, partnerships, buy-ins, buy-outs. Uh, we've uh, talked generally in the first episode about just big-picture issues. Yeah. We talked about sort of being careful about DSO partnerships. Sure, yeah. And uh, today, we're going to talk about partnering in the practice where you associate or bringing your associate on as a partner. So yeah, we're going to talk about both sides of the coin here, Paul. And I think, you know, maybe we'll just I'll use a golf comparison. We played golf together. You know, you're you're two, not not recently. Yeah, enough, I know, right? Two, you, Dr. You know, Nacho. But you're 200 yards out, or you're 190 yards out over water, and the shot that you're going to hit, you know, you could lay up, uh, which has less risk and less reward, or you could go for it, which has higher risk and higher reward. And I think partnerships is kind of a good way to think of it that way. You know, there's a a lot of reward. I'm a partner with my brother. There's a lot of reward, but there's also a lot of risk, and mm -hmm. you're involving, you know a lot of factors into your life that you wouldn't be as a solo practice owner. So I think as we talk about, are you an associate in a practice and you want to buy into it? If this is you, either on either side, you know, it's really something to pay attention to because what's what might seem quaint or romantic or this sounds like a nice next step for us in our dental career, I know you've seen gone sideways in the past. Oh, for sure. And, you know, we touched on some potential things in previous episodes, but let's, let's, Jump in, Paul. Yeah. Like, okay, so you're a practice owner and you have a, a great associate that you like working with. They know your uh, your practice. The patients know them. The team likes them. They do good work. Um, and, you know, they're at that stage of their career where they're ready yeah. to move into uh, some sort of practice ownership. Start there. Uh, two, two things come to mind immediately is one, how did these two dentists get to this place? Was it a solo GP who hired you as their first associate and they were doing a million dollars and now together you're doing $1.5 million. And is this really a practice that's for two partners or is mm -hmm. it really in a, an owner and associate, right? So I think oftentimes, and it's done with good intentions, this practice owner says, oh, okay, I wanna you know offer a partnership. And the younger dentist says, I wanna feel important here, but is the financials of the practice really lend itself to a true partnership. And I mm -hmm. think maybe you've seen, and I've seen, the answer to that can sometimes just be a flat out no. Right. That you can't just wave a magic wand and make associate production into partner production. And the associate could actually become a partner, start paying off the loan, make less money. You know, I think one of the things, the feeling-based things, and I could say this as a younger dentist myself, like when you become a partner of something, you have the expectations you're gonna make more money. Right. And sometimes by paying the loan off, that could not be the case. So I think that's one thing to think about from a pure numbers standpoint. And then, Rob, for me, and I say this a lot when because I do coaching calls on this, 
how close are you in age to that person? Because sometimes you see a 70-year-old want to have a partnership with a 30-year-old. And I, I am proudly, you know, pay my advisory fees, accountants and attorney, you included, Rob. So it's not to get out of advisory fees. But if you do this giant thing when someone's 70, yeah. and then you want to do it again when they're 73, maybe, I don't know if there's a technical term, instead of a partnership, the old switcheroo's better, right? Yeah, right. Or maybe buying out the person but, and then yeah. being your associate. So I think for those sure. are my two main jumping off points for the associate in the practice to the to buying in. Is it a true practice that can support a partnership? And- how close are you in age? Because younger partner, are you going to want to be looking for a new partner soon? Older partner, are you now going to have to work longer than you anticipated because you now have to find someone to buy you at? So those are kind of some of my starting contributions. Well, I think, and your point is a good one, Paul. I mean, I think we talk about this with this as your your first partner. Same thing, the same analysis when you're hiring your first associate. Right. Is it is it feasible? You know, right. And this is where you have to look past the whole legal and, you know, warm and fuzzy concept of having a partner and look at the numbers. You right. know, it's the same thing. You work with your CPA and, you know, you as the seller, you know, the existing owner has to understand what this is going to look like to you financially, because just like when you hire the associate, you can't expect to make more money and hire an associate yeah. and pay an associate and you know immediately right maybe right. over time this will turn into a money making thing but you know the pa the patient population didn't grow the day that you hired that person right. same thing with with partnerships you know, like somebody is going to buy into the practice you're going to have to share the profit with them right they're going to pay you something for that uh, that interest but what does that look like you know and that's where the cash flow analysis really comes into play. Right. And, you know, a cash flow, a projected cash flow analysis that a good CPA is going to do. And uh, that's important on both sides, you know, from a seller yeah. standpoint, you know, making sure that if they do this deal, they, they can plan and this is consistent with what they're looking to do. For the person that's buying in, they want to know that when they borrow X number of dollars and pay this to the seller, uh, and they're going to get their distribution of their profit, that they're going to be making money off to of this. Totally. And I think some of the things we talked about before in some previous seasons come back here in a different way is that, you know, when I someone calls me up and wants to sell their practice, one of my first questions is, hey, Dr. Rob, when do you want to hang up the handpiece? When do you want to stop drilling on teeth, right? It just gives me context as to what's in this person's mind. If they said yesterday, I said, well, you called me too late. I try not to be too irritating about it. But if they say, oh, over the next year, year and a half, I say, okay, we can start to plan to sell your practice. That's a practice sale. I think when you buy out someone and you say, how long do you want to practice as an associate? I think, you know, if it's more than a year, sometimes that can be a problem for the new owner, right? Mm -hmm. But in the partnership world, I think it's totally different, right? Yeah. So if you're a young associate or an associate and you're in this situation, I think a really good question to ask to the more senior dentist is, how long do you want this partnership to last? And you want to hear like a long time, right? You want to hear we're going to be side by side doing this thing together. Right. Because if they say, I want to retire in the next four years, it really could be just a big expectation problem for mm -hmm. both parties. Yeah. And and I like your your suggestion. In that situation, it might just be better to buy the practice and hire them as an associate. Right. Yeah, because to go into partners with somebody who's who's admittedly saying that I want to take my foot off the gas, that doesn't sound like such a great right. partner. Right. And I think sometimes people look at these situations as a buyer and think, well, this is great. He or she is going to be leaving soon and, you know, I'll have this whole thing. But, you know, that may not be practical or yeah. 
in your best interest from a financial standpoint. And you want to you want to deal with a lot of stress. You know, I do Dennis Job Connect. I'm really enjoying growing it and finding associates. But it's associates, you know, it's like I feel like my grandma. They don't fall off trees, right? You know, so it's like you want to go from being a partner with a more senior dentist who has all the patient relationships, the team relationships, and people say yes to all of their treatment. Now you want to buy the whole thing and try to find a new associate for yourself. That's like some real business owner yeah. acrobatics. That yeah. can, why do you wind up you working more hours, you being more stressed, you making less money. Um, so I think that one of the things that to make people prepared is really get a gauge of how long the more senior dentist wants to still be a practicing dentist. Mm -hmm. And I think you want to hear more than 10 years because yeah. you know, I think you want to look at a decade. You know, someone's 48 and you're 33. Okay, that's like 15 years. It goes, I, I used to tell people if you're like within a decade time frame, uh, age range of each other, you know, mm -hmm. you're 40, uh -huh. they're 48, that sounds like. But once you once that gap in age starts to get big, usually your life situations start to differ quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And I kind of like... I like like looking at that possibly from just the life of the loan too. If you're right, yeah. if you've got a ten year loan to buy into this practice, like you probably want that partner to be around for ten years, yeah. right? Uh, because that's that's right. where so your you, cash flow is coming to pay yeah, the debt. You finish that that off, and you know I think it's a it's it, I want to make clear that I love dentists working together in the same place, right? I love them sharing the camaraderie and the challenges, but sometimes it doesn't have to be done in a partnership format and that associate owner mm -hmm. makes more sense and right. partnerships can. I think, you know, there are some really some great people out there in the dental world that are 36 years old, they're doing $1.7 million, they want to buy another practice, want to do this. Well, then maybe there's really a great opportunity for a 31-year-old to be their partner. And now they're proverbially holding hands for the next two decades, mm -hmm. buying practices. But I think what we're talking about, Robin, what we're thinking about is sometimes it's like, I've been an associate for five years. The practice owner is 67 years old. They want to be a, a partner now. And I think these are really good questions to ask uh, before you jump into something that is, you know, pretty much, I think, Rob, as serious as it gets as a relationship in your life. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's no doubt. People get really mad at me when they go, marriage is such a big, bigger decision. Of course, you know, in, in the emotional aspect, <laughs> they'll say yes. But I've know. seen people, yeah. I've seen dentists, I go, what happened to your spouse? They go, oh, we got divorced a year ago. They're living in San Francisco. I'm living in New York. We're happy. We're still kind of friendly with each other, but we don't work out. Now, I know that is an oversimplification of a very, but it doesn't seem to have affected their business. But then you go to someone who's had a bad dental partnership uh -huh. and the impact financially, emotionally, can be markedly worse because yeah. you want to know what I want to share, and it might. I don't want this to come off as, as funny, but it's hard to find a new dental partner. They need to be a dentist. Yeah. Anyone can be your life partner. Like you yeah. can move to Austin, Texas, and there's all these people that you could proverbially date <laughs> to be a new life partner, right? right? But if you're a dentist that has a partnership breakup, yeah, you can only find another dentist to save that. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about previously. It's just it's hard to find somebody yeah. to just buy into a practice that they have nothing to do with it. Yeah. So. so. Well, then the other practical reality, though, is, you know, look, if you've got that good associate in the practice um, and they want to be a practice owner, if you're going to keep them in the practice, then you may have to consider right. a partnership. And I think that can be, you know, I think sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not good to make decisions with a gun to your head, yeah. so to speak. But you know, in that situation, I think that that would be a good justification. Oh, I, I agree with you. But not a substitute for the economics working. Because yeah. as much as you want to keep that person and that person may want to stay, 
becoming partners in a bad economic situation is not going to be good for the long term success of that partnership. And I I don't judge anyone's motives. I just ask about them. I don't pretend to know what's inside of someone's head or I just ask them. So I do the, you know, dentist job and connect people come to me and say, Paul, I'm very stressed out. I'm a new, I'm a solo practitioner. I need an associate. I say, okay, okay, Dr. Rob, one question. If you hire an associate, are you okay making less money for the next year? They go, no. I say, we don't need to talk anymore. Right. There's nothing, nothing I can say that's going to help you with those expectations. When they say, yes, I would just love to have someone help me check hygiene. Okay. Yes. I would love to be able to go on more vacations. Now we can talk. Now when we bring this to this discussion here with, you know, that, that dentals, dentist who says, I must, I'm going to have to offer partnership to this motivated entrepreneurial young dentist who I like working with to make this thing work. They just need to have their own expectations managed that their decision making is now going to be shared. They're used to deciding on the blue and black pens by themselves. Right. Like we talked about in an early episode, uh, they're going to have to give up. What's interesting is the associate, someone you've mentored, and they haven't had a lot of decision-making power. And you had put this down as a good point. Like, just because you say they have decision-making power doesn't mean everyone in the office respects their decision-making power. No, and I think it's even more challenging. And you know, we've talked about this previously, just you know, if you're buying into a practice, are you truly going to be treated by your partner and the team as as an owner. Right. I think it's worse even when you're an associate in the practice. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like this is sort of the case in sometimes in the legal world too that you know sometimes people once they're typecast as the associate, yeah. you know, the the other people around them don't necessarily flip that switch when now they're an owner. You know, it's like, yeah, Johnny's an associate. Uh, Johnny's 45 years old, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. nobody really calls him Johnny anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. well, Johnny used to shadow the doctor. Yeah, we yeah. were like, yeah, but uh, he's John. He has three kids, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, like, we need to kind of change our mindset about who this person is, right? And, and sometimes, Rob, you know, I, I like what you're saying there. Sometimes it's the owners trying hard to do this, but you can't unwind people's emotions inside of them. Like, I was actually saying at my own team today, I can't always be the referee for everyone. I can't be calling the fouls on everybody. Some of you got to just look at your teammates and be like, you can't travel with the ball, right? You can't run it out of bounds. So I was trying to inspire my team as the leader to be like, can you kind of help lead each other? But that's just words, Rob, right? Like that doesn't always work out. So the practice room may say, Johnny has my full authority, full confidence to help you guys manage this place on Wednesdays. And anything that happens on Wednesdays, Johnny's got it, right? John's got it. Right. 9.23 p.m., office manager. Uh, Mrs. Smith's mad. What should we do, right? Yeah. And then you're like, I told you to ask John. So yeah. I wanted to stand up for practice owners. I even stand up. I just want to provide context that sometimes this is something that's just very emotionally complex because you may say all the right things in a team meeting. You may say that they are fully partners. You may say they have your full confidence. But the team just reverts back to, and you know, that's a process. It doesn't mean that can never be fixed, Rob. No. It just means that it's it's a process. You know, when we're talking specifically about the associates that have been there and they're used to blowing past them saying, can I have Christmas Eve off? They're used to going past them and saying, can we leave early on this day? It's hard to make them stop and ask that person. Yeah, and that's a great, it's a great point. I think, you know, as we talk about this, I think it underscores the importance of managing that situation, right? As as the as the older existing partner, I think you have to realize that this is out there and this yeah. is something you have to work on. And to be able to work on something, to solve a problem, you have to know that the problem exists, right? Yeah. So coming into this, I think it's important to realize that you're going to have to do things to empower that person right. and to empower that person in front of the team. It may Maybe it's that, hey, on Fridays, you talk to John. That's it. Yeah. Don't call me. And, and when they call you, say, 
don't don't talk to me. I want to share this. with you one of my and you have seen her, Carol Kivler, who's just changed my life in the best way. When I did this in 2010 with my office manager, she's a she's a coach with all of this, and she's like, "It sounds funny. You have to say go ask Kate." So like whenever they go to you, say go ask Kate. And I did it long enough, Rob, where they stopped coming to me. Yeah, but it was really hard to do. Yeah, because you have to take this person coming to you saying, "Can I go to my daughter's play?" And you used to say, "Yeah, you're nay." Mm-hmm. And you say, go ask Kate. It's not a comfortable situation for you and that person. So practice owner, you're going to have to dig in. And and getting a coach can be very helpful because that helped me. Uh Because I was motivated by not having to answer those questions forever. So Mm -hmm. I was willing to say, go ask Kate. And when they rolled their eyes, I'm like, Kate's doing that now. And she said, you got to do that. And I think your point is perfect. On Fridays, John, Dr. John's in charge. If you have any problems, we'll talk about it on Monday. Yeah. Don't text me. Period. I'm not going to respond to your text. Right. And because even if you're trying to be accommodating or trying yeah. to be helpful, you're just kind of feeding the beast. Well, yeah, we talk about because people people undermine you with their crafty, manipulative ways, right? Right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like it's like, you know, I use the kid example and I have awesome kids. And I, sometimes my daughter will say, I say, go ask your mom. And she comes back and says, like, Mom said it was okay. I'm like, you didn't even go ask her, right? And so, but like, <laughs> yeah. in a practice situation, and I'm not even saying people are intentionally being deceitful, they're just mm-hmm. good at figuring out to Everybody be wants successful. To get what they want, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. So it's a so that's why I think when we're talking about partnerships and associates buying in, and I think you have to just have like, I don't have the right words, empathy or grace, you know, as an associate who's never been asked to be the referee or bad guy or this. And now you say, and today you are in charge of this, give them the training, give them the resources, get them the Carol Kivlers to do that. Because that muscle is not one that just gets developed because someone told you to start lifting weights with it. Right. You know, oh, I mean, absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, the other thing you know, that's out there, too, that, you know, if you are at the point where financially and economically the practice can take on a partner, um, the best place to find one is somebody that you have already right. worked with who knows the team and who knows how to, to thrive in that environment. Um, that can be a really good and thing. We, we left out something here, as you were saying, is um, and we tend to leave this out a lot, not on purpose, but. The real value is the patients because they have a relationship with the patients. Right. Like, you know, when someone's been seeing a, a Dr. Guac in your practice for six years and hygiene checks with Dr. Guac and treatment plan except with Dr. Mm-hmm. Guac, mm-hmm. You, you should sit your team down and, and say, you know how much people like Dr. Guac here, right? And we're just going to transform this into a better situation for all of us. And that's the language that you use. Right. I'm, I'm, I always say I'm enthusiastically exhausted. So I'm a practitioner. I'm enthusiastically exhausted. I want to share. I want Dr. Guac to feel like, part of this here and we're all going to do this together you know it's all just goes back to these leadership things that nobody teaches you in dental school yeah and and i think and that's important and like you, you could also say well one hand we've got a non-compete so that the associate can't leave and work anywhere within 10 miles that's great they can't take the the the, the goodwill away but that doesn't help you with your patients though <laughs> right. like, it doesn't make it any better that you now still need to get somebody and to i was just talking them. to someone recently who was you know someone said when dentists constantly change in a practice, patients start to lose some confidence. And it doesn't mean that you should get a partner because of it, but it's just a reminder that switching out Dr. Salsa for Dr. Olives, it's not just switching out a, a, a Lego piece, right? Right. Patients start to say, why is there a new person here? And it doesn't mean not to do it. It just means that maybe dig in and see if you can make this work. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you can make it work and 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 uh, with with the existing people you have, you know, that that's always better <laughs> than than going out to to the general public for sure. The other thing that, and we touched on this in a previous episode, that you have to be careful about uh, as the practice owner is just future transaction 
risk, yeah. future transition risk, I guess is probably a better way to yeah. put it. You know, that especially given the size of the practice, you know, if you have a large practice that you're going to uh, hopefully, or you have a plan to sell to a DSO to maximize the value at some point, you know, what happens when you bring that associate on, you know, yeah. and, and will that associate want to be, uh, a part of that transaction. I've seen those deals work. I've seen those deals fail. Uh, the other thing is if it's a situation where you think that this associate is going to buy your practice out someday and you sell them 50% now and you want to retire four years from now and then they can't, where where does that leave you? So you know, sometimes bringing an associate on as a partner can be a good thing, but if, if it's truly transition based, then you may want to think about selling the practice to them and going to work for yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I was saying that, Rob, I just thought, you know, people always say, you know, how lucky my dad was to have me be a dentist, how lucky I was to work with my dad. But there was that there was another dentist involved in here that was really lucky he became a dentist. That was my dad's partner because he was seven years older than my dad, knew I was going to dental school, knew I was coming to the practice. Yeah. So he had it on easy street because he's like, okay, you know, at some point my dad did buy the practice and sold some to us, but he just sort of had the, the dental circle of life on this is here's the guy right yeah paul right. goodman who i've known my whole life so if they were 60 and 53 and he's like i want to retire in three years they would have had to figure out how to replace that partner so i think that when you're the older partner just make sure that you're you're aware of that in your get out of dentistry hang up the handpiece transition plan yeah yeah that's a great point you know and i think you know overall so i think you know as we talked about a few times in these episodes that you know it's not one size fits all yeah. you know and it depends on the practice depends on the associate it depends on the on the practice owner as to whether or not this is the right thing to do uh, certainly from a practice owner's perspective just knowing who that person is that you're going to partner with that you've already had the ability to kind of date, so to speak, yeah. um, is a good thing. It's, it could be a very tricky thing to bring somebody in yeah. off the street that you have no understanding as to how they work or clinically or how they are to get along with. Right. For the associate, you should know kind of what you're getting yourself into. It's like living in a house before you buy it, you know, yeah. and that can be that can be a good thing. Uh, but you know, what a lot of this comes down to is will the finances permit it yeah. and in a way that is is good for, for both people. Um, and I think with that, you know, it's important also to really be aware and be cognizant of the valuation. We'll talk about this in, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a future episode, but um, it, 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 there's a lot of sort of variation in how you value these practices as well. As much as I said that these can be very difficult and challenging transactions from a legal standpoint and they're complex, uh, how you value these can be very different. You know, yeah, totally. Had, I mean, I think what you, you were saying, Rob, as I was just listening to some of your wrap up there is, you know, bonding together to partner with another dentist closes doors to other stuff for both sides, right? For right. the older dentist, it closes some DSO doors. And for the younger dentist, it closes some entrepreneurial doors. And it doesn't mean that that's bad. You just want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for your own success because you're not as agile anymore when you partner with somebody. And when it goes well, it goes really well. And I know when you see it too, and you're, um, you know, the the uh, detective of dentistry. That's what you guys are, right? The police, you're those, the like attorneys that. are the detectives like of that. dentistry. Crime dog. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's just a really good way to deliver value to our audience to kind of be optimistic, but not delusional. It's a Gary Vee thing about mm -hmm. how these things go. 
Right. You still have to just go through the steps and, and yeah. do your due diligence and do things right legally and be be realistic and have your eyes open. You know? yeah. and, and just because you want to, quote unquote, be a partner doesn't necessarily mean that this is the right situation for, for either of you. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, if you like the show, give us uh, good reviews on Apple or Google or wherever you listen to us. And uh, please come back and tune in again for next time. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.